0: My name's Ralph, and I'm a bad guy. I'm a wrecker. I wreck things. Professionally.
1: Ah!
2: I'm
3: gonna wreck it!
2: Welcome to the now-playing Wreck-It Ralph retrospective series. What's
0: going on in this candy-coated
2: heart of darkness? Hosted by Stuart. You are the universe's greatest hero. Arnie. Well, <laughs>
3: why didn't you tell me I was in the presence of a genius?
2: And Justin. Dude, he doesn't get mad because he's so rad. These conversations will be spoiler filled and may contain objectionable language. Boy, is the filthy back in your filthy mouth again. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. And we are online.
3: Today, we are putting our quarter in Ralph Breaks the Internet, starring John C. Riley, Sarah Silverman, Gal Gadot, Jane Lynch, Jack McBrayer, Alan Tudyk, Alfred Molina, Ed O'Neill, Taraj P. Henson... Directed by Rich Moore and Phil Johnson. This is your codependent Pied Piper of now playing, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Justin. And welcome back to the second and probably final part of the retrospective for years to come, as it takes years and years for animated sequels to get off the ground. It took this one six years. I wondered coming in, is the movie still relevant? And the box office has screamed at me, yes. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Big hit Thanksgiving, going to beat Creed too. hence why we punted that one until next week. Not surprising. It, this is for all audiences, and it is much more a contemporary story. Last time I felt like, okay, there was some nostalgia for 80s kids in those retro video games, but there really wasn't a world where people still went to an arcade and plunk quarters in. Here, they're going to the internet, and everyone is going to know something about that.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, my initial thought of Ralph Breaks the Internet is, oh boy, this is going to move away from the niche thing that I liked about the first one. But that does open it up to a much wider audience. Everybody knows the internet, so this movie is going to be aimed at a much bigger audience. Especially like on a Tuesday when I went. Holy cow, I forgot that Tuesdays are $5 movie nights. And, man, I don't know if it was the combination of Thanksgiving, $5 Tuesday... And the fact that it's a big opening, but I went to a packed theater on a Tuesday night to watch this movie.
1: Yeah, I had no one. I hear this movie is doing big and I'm glad because I went Thanksgiving Day. I thought that's what people did. And I found that there was six other people in my theater along with me, my brother, and my nieces. I decided to bring real kids, not imaginary kids, to this kid's
3: film. But there weren't a lot of other people that did that. And so I've had a relatively private screening. I should have gone with you. Now, you went on a matinee on Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. And when I've gone to see movies with family on Thanksgiving, usually Thanksgiving quote unquote dinner is like a two o'clock meal, and then people go to the theater at seven or so. So I should have gone with you that day, but I was busy with family Thanksgiving stuff. I think this movie was actually difficult for some people to see because there's so many movies out right now that AMC, which always puts the big films on multiple screens had one screen per theater, only three screens for a audience of about a quarter of a million people. I think our area services 250,000 people at the theaters is what I've read. And they had three screens showing Ralph. And Warner Brothers did a real block maneuver because Ralph didn't even get on most IMAX screens. There were a few in the big cities that have like eight IMAX screens. But even Justin, I talked to you in Omaha, Nebraska, where there's a number of them. Warner Brothers Fantastic Beasts, which is not doing that well, hogged the IMAX screens through contract, not letting Disney let Wreck-It Ralph break the IMAX.
0: Yeah, I was kind of surprised by that, you know? I mean, neither of our IMAX theaters were showing it. The craziest experience you could get was that Dolby Digital, which I'm not a huge fan of yet. Like, I don't know if you guys have been in one of those screenings yet, but it's hyper bright and hyper sharp as far as the picture goes, and the sound is way too loud in these places.
3: Did either of you see this in 3D? Because some of the screenings, and there were so few, I had no option of picking 3D or not, but... It was in 3D a couple of times per day. Yeah, I did.
1: A friend of mine actually worked on this film. I'd stayed in contact with some Hollywood people and they had gone to Disney. They told me, oh, definitely check out the 3D. It's great. I don't think she goes to many 3D movies. I didn't think it was that great. I thought it was fine, but I wouldn't say that it necessarily enhanced the story.
0: Yeah, no, no, I stayed away from 3D like I normally do. And something like this, I especially was going to stay away just because it's animated for one and it's got dense quickly moving backgrounds, that's just a recipe for disaster for me.
3: I ended up having to see this at 4 o'clock on Friday afternoon. Now, I could have gone 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon at the theater in town where you can do reserved seats and have the nice recliners and things, but I looked. I would have been wedged in between two strangers because there were very, very few seats left at that showing. I checked the 4 o'clock show at the nice theater with reserved seats. Sold out. Hmm. So, I had two other theaters to choose from. The 3D showing at the really nice, the new theater, or the 430 showing at the kind of run-down theater that Stuart tells me nobody's ever at. Mm -mm. So I go to the one where nobody's ever at. Every seat is taken. I am in literally the very back row. The only seat I could get was the handicapped seat in the back.
1: Oh, okay. Well, the movie's doing well. I'm reading this. I just saw no evidence in my small (laughs) screen. But I got lucky. I guess if you want to blow off Thanksgiving dinner, that's the thing to do. Go to the movie.
3: I just couldn't believe that even at that theater, every families were coming in after me. And there were a couple seats scattered around. But parents were coming in and just like... What do we do? We can't sit with our kids. There's no two seats together. And the theater's so janky, it doesn't even have a ticket counter. I had to go to concessions to get my ticket or show my A-list thing. So I had a 15-minute wait as people were getting their jujubes, and I was getting really worried. I'm like, I usually give myself some slack for trailers, but it was cutting it close, I thought. There were 32 minutes of trailers. Yeah. 32 minutes. I could not believe it. I got in there really late and I'm like, oh, it's still trailers. and more trailers Mm -hmm. and still more two of them not one but two of them for toy story 4
0: yeah nothing like a family movie to show you exactly how demographed and test marketed trailers are for a certain movie with all the youngins in there i would have thought
3: you'd want to keep the trailers short the movie's about an hour 40 i would think you do not want to keep a whole bunch of kids in a theater for two hours and ten minutes there were Copious potty breaks going on as I sat by the back door, but it was a jammed house and I was able to read audience reaction and I did get in to see it. I guess I should be lucky about that. Yeah, and I had a
1: special underlining the message moment. Although my theater was small, there was a gentleman in the back that was having a glitch, if you will. He was making noise and nobody knew at first. They were like, Who's yelling? Who's moaning? And then you realize, oh, I'm having a theatrical experience with someone who is not able to stop making noise. And you're angry for about 10 seconds. And then you realize, wait, that was the whole point of Vanellope and understanding people have glitches. And if he wants to come out on opening day and see his hero, then who am I to say it? In some ways, it made the movie more endearing because it made it real. It made those messages
0: real. Oh, that's great meanwhile i couldn't get my glitch to go because she is now 13 and too cool to do stuff with her dad so mm. like i took my older son and we were the weird 23 and 45 year old at a movie together for kids but not as weird as the
3: 44 year old sitting alone in the back row <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what did you guys know going in i pride myself that never have i gone into a movie never seeing the trailer I cannot think of a movie experience where I did not have some visual in my head about what was going to happen, but I knew my friend worked on it. She told me the Disney princesses were in it, and that is all that I knew. I expected Ralph to break the internet much earlier than he actually did, and that was all that I expected to happen. I had no jokes spoiled. I had no sense of the supporting characters or anything that would happen. It was the freshest screening of any film, maybe ever, that I've
3: had since childhood. Wow. I've had that a lot with the Dario Argento stuff we reviewed recently (laughs) and some of the M. Night stuff (laughs) we're reviewing right now. I don't know that I've ever seen a trailer for The Visit. Yeah. Alone in the Dark 2, I admit I knew nothing, but I didn't want to know anything either. (laughs) But I knew about this movie a couple years ago because apparently a trailer came out and there was an uproar. And being a Twitter person, there's no outrage that I am not aware of in this country. Apparently... Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. They'd lightened her skin and made her nose smaller, and they were accused of whitewashing Disney's first African princess.
1: Well, if they did that, they did whitewash Disney's first African American princess. That I don't know that she's wrong.
3: American, is she? That's why I said African Yeah,
1: she's from New Orleans. I caught up with that one. Because I knew Disney princesses were in it, I didn't know how much. I'm like, are there any that I've missed? So I went and I saw Mulan and Princess and the Frog. Those were the two that I hadn't seen. I didn't know Brave
3: was going to be in this one, so I still haven't seen that one. But otherwise, I caught up on my princesses. I just knew that they did that and Disney came out and are like, we're so sorry. We're going to fix this. They brought in African-Americans to consult and make sure that they were portraying her appropriately for her eight seconds of screen time. Right.
1: <laughs> just, it seems
0: like a little overkill. Just maybe get out a Pantone book and make sure you're not whitewashing, you know?
1: <laughs> Why can't you just <laughs> copy what you did in the film? I, It's not that hard. <laughs>
3: But that was the first thing I'd heard, and then I did see repeatedly from our theatrical viewings, we've gone to the theaters a lot this summer, and the movies I've seen had the milkshake, milkshake, pancake, pancake trailer. Oh. I figured that that mid-credit
1: scene was indicating that that was the joke, that there was a scene yet to be shown.
3: Yeah, it was in the trailer, but I ended up having to spoil it for myself because anybody who listened to the show last week, I always try to include as much from the new releases as I do the on-video releases in our credits. So I watched every clip available, I watched every trailer available, every TV spot available. It gets to be a little mind-numbing. Just so you guys know, I spend about four hours watching slightly differently edited variations of the same thing, looking for one clean line that might have had music behind it in another one. It's really anal retentive and maddening, but I do it for almost every theatrical release we've done. And so, I knew quite a bit. They'd released quite a few clips, they'd released Going Up to Mr. No more. they'd released Ralph getting heart, heart heart, heart heart. So I'd seen quite a bit of it, but still didn't know what the overall arc of the movie would be. I just got a feel for how it would be when he did break the internet. I still didn't know how he would get on the internet. I didn't know what the plot of the movie would be, and I knew the Disney princesses were in it because that was in one of the clips.
1: My guess was he broke the internet because it was eating up all the video game characters. That's going in what I assume would happen. All his friends are moving to the internet, and he doesn't want to lose them, so he breaks them to keep them at the arcade, because that arcade, it's still here somehow. (laughs) Many surprises in that film. That was the biggest.
0: You know, I kind of fall a little closer to Stuart on this scale of what did I know going in. Like, I I usually see trailers and especially for movies that I like I'll try to consume all that stuff going in but with this one it really wasn't in my face unlike Arnie I wasn't at movies where they were showing this trailer I was aware this movie was being made years ago so I'm not sure how it kind of went past me without me seeing the official trailer and knowing a little bit going in but yeah like you Stuart I knew something about the Disney princesses and Ralph was gonna break the internet and that was about it. Well, then, Arnie, why don't you give him the plot and we'll find out what happens.
3: It's been six years since the events of Wreck-It Ralph, and somehow Litwax Arcade is still doing business. Mm. But barely. I'm predicting part three, it's gone.
1: That's the plot. We're closing. (laughs) The kids in here, Dan, we're closing this. We're turning it into something useful.
3: I think it's kind of like those places in New York where you wonder, how did this business get in Times Square? He must own the land and have paid it off in the 80s because he would not be making enough based on what he says to pay a mortgage on. That building. Yeah, the game doesn't even make two hundred dollars. She's not going to replace the steering wheel. I had to double check that. Yes, two hundred a year. Mm. <laughs> this is one of those hobby businesses that retirees have, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Vanellope is getting bored with her daily routine of racing the same three courses every single day and hanging out at tappers with Ralph every night. Ralph tries to fix Vanellope's boredom by smashing out a new track for her, but this off-road adventure excites Vanellope a bit too much. She takes control of her racer with the human player outside the game fighting against the wheel. The tension becomes too much and the wheel snaps off Vanellope's Sugar Rush machine. The players find one on eBay, but Litwack says the $200 the new wheel costs is more than Sugar Rush makes in a year. Litwack's scrapping company is coming in a few days. It's also never good for your business if you regularly have the scrappers coming to take your stuff. <laughs> And Litwack plans on selling slash giving Sugar Rush to them. As he unplugs the machine, all of Sugar Rush's characters flee to the central power strip and find themselves homeless. But Mr. Litwack just got a new device plugged in. Wi-Fi. So Ralph and Vanellope go on the internet to find eBay and buy that wheel. They win the bid on the wheel, but their antics made the $200 item cost over $27,000, which these characters don't have, so they decide to follow a pop-up ad on how to get rich playing video games. The answer is by selling loot. They can get $40,000 if they get loot from the game's slaughter race. They have to steal a red sports car from lead gang member Shank, voiced by Gal Gadot. They get very close to stealing the car, but it turns out Shank can outrace even Vanellope. But the race reinvigorated Vanellope and she realizes she wants to live in the smog-filled, dangerous slaughter race, not return home to Sugar Rush, but she doesn't know how to tell Ralph. Ralph, meanwhile, is making thousands of dollars by embarrassing himself in viral videos. Eventually, he makes $30,000 and buys the wheel, but Vanellope says she wants to stay in Slaughter Race with her new friend Shank. Ralph wants to secretly discourage this, so he goes to the Darknet and buys a virus that multiplies insecurities, releasing it in Sugar Rush. The virus multiplies Vanellope's glitch until the whole game is glitching, and Ralph helps Vanellope escape right before the game is rebooted. He confesses what he did, and Vanellope is obviously really angry, but in helping Vanellope escape, the virus is on the loose on the internet. It finds Ralph to be 100% insecure... Emotionally, if not programmatically, so the virus replicates tens of thousands of Ralph that merge to form a giant King Kong-like Ralph that tries to kidnap Vanellope. But Ralph finds it in himself that friendship is to let Vanellope go, and his new self-confidence causes the virus to disappear, and Vanellope forgives Ralph for his stupidity. And the movie ends with Penelope staying in Slaughter Race, but still FaceTiming with Ralph Weekly. Ralph makes new friends in Zangief's book club, and Sugar Rush has its new steering wheel. As credits roll. Now, I have one basic question, and I know it's a cartoon, I need to suspend disbelief and all of that, but I'm trying to figure out the world of this. Mm-hmm. The way I saw it in the first movie is there was this arcade and much like Andy's toy box and toy story, these characters knew of each other from that, Arcade. They'd all get together on the hub. But you gotta figure, right, there's arcades everywhere. No. <laughs> <And> <laughs> there's Dave and Buster's everywhere. Okay. And there are collectors who have arcade machines in their home. So there's a lot of Ralphs, right? There's a lot of Vanellopes out there in the world, right? Oh, God. Are we really going to go here? <laughs> it's going to be some kind of philosophy class
1: about multiple realities.
0: Multiverse. I can kind of hand wave that, Arnie, because I think Toy Story even kind of handles that well, too, because at one point in Toy Story, they end up in a toy store and there are a lot of Buzz Lightyear's and only the Buzz Lightyear we know and love is aware. The other ones are just kind of mindless minions. So when I'm in a world like this, that's kind of the hood I put over my head and just go along with the story.
3: I had a different problem,
1: but uh, also a technical problem, Arnie, so I can kind of relate to your early anguish. Early on in this movie, everyone goes back to work, and this mother and daughter come in to pop a quarter into Sugar Rush, and it's implied that the way that the mom is playing is not impacting the game. That Vanellope is going to race the way that she's going to race, and that you, as a player, don't have control... And that's what's going to lead to the steering wheel getting broken. That's going to lead to everything that the movie's going to go to next. That hurts me, <laughs> as the one that likes to play video games, to think that I have no control over the characters, that they're just naturally good and do what they're going to do, and what I try to do has no
0: bearing. You think that was a mom and daughter? I thought that was two friends. <laughs>
1: Swatty and Napisa? No,
3: that's a mom and daughter.
0: Is it? I'm kind of with Arnie. They look kind of similar in age, but...
3: And the one who who I think you're calling the mother acts like a little girl when she apologizes to Mr. Litwick. I'd imagine the mom would say, let me pay for the steering wheel versus the little girl who's like, Mr. Litwick, I broke the wheel. But uh, that different reading of the scene aside, the way I took it was you normally control the game. And because Vanellope got so excited for the new course... She was going to do what she was going to do, and she took control. Like, they can take control away from you if they want to but usually you are the one in control that's why at that point of the game the player is like the wheel isn't going where i want whereas it had the whole time and yet we're supposed to understand that vanellope
1: always wins that wouldn't necessarily be the case she's only going to win as often as the best player that pops a quarter in is going to play her the sticky rule is that we're expected to believe that Yes, these are characters that have their own independent life, not based on what users do when they're behind the joystick, the
3: steering wheel, what have you.
0: I can kind of see what you're saying, though, Stuart, because it's implied that Vanellope is so bored with her game. She knows all the tracks. She knows all the moves.
3: I had to laugh when he's like, what do you mean? You have three tracks. <laughs> I mean, the home racing games, you have like 82 tracks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I bought a Pod Racer arcade machine and I'm like, there's two? Yeah, I relate to Ralph always because he is like the middle-aged dad that's like,
1: I don't understand what the kids are into these days.
0: (laughs) That's kind of an interesting point, too, because in this one, the relationship between Ralph and Vanellope is that they are friends. They're best friends. But both of them play a little bit more exaggerated versions of themselves. Now Ralph is, yeah, he's a little bit more of a middle-aged dad, and they're doing dad jokes around him. Vanellope is very much a tween type of child, but yet they're best friends with the same kind of mental abilities.
1: And I don't think that's so different between a lot of parents and children these days. I think parenting in general, if you look at it a hundred years ago, it was very much authoritarian and disciplinarian. And now parents and kids are more friends and they are less likely to separate. You do see them going to the arcade together. I'm going to insist on that. I think it's a mother and daughter. It is friends. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But anyway, the point is, the fact that we can't tell is feeding into the idea that, yes, I think they are writing this relationship
3: as both father and child and best friend. And this is a role that I see John C. Riley play quite a bit, it's kind of the doofy older character. So I think it fits. I noticed in the credits, John C. Riley was given a story credit as well as some other people. So he was in there, I think, bringing what John C. Riley brings to a role in the writer's room, saying, Well, what if we have Ralph do this? If not one of the specific screenwriters, he was helping come up with the stories that would happen.
0: Now, did you guys notice while we are still in the arcade and in the hub, they kind of dialed back the background references and how much activity was going on there? Because I feel like this movie knows that they're going to a much bigger world where they're going to just inundate us with in-jokes and Easter eggs and visual things to look at. So to me, it felt a little sparse this time around in the arcade. It's all in the opening montage. They have to establish very
1: quickly that the place is getting hooked up with Wi-Fi or Wifey, Whiffy, whatever. They don't know what that is. But as that's happening, we have one scene where we just kind of follow Ralph and Benelope as they go about their day. And they're enjoying Burger Time burgers in Grand Central Station and drinking at Tapper's. I didn't know John Madden had its own coin-op, but they're at a football field at some point And then Riding Tron, that's where they
3: introduce the ideas they sell Up the virus idea for later. I loved the Tron video game. I mean, I know Tron's a Disney movie. Disney is sure going to promote themselves in this movie, but it still took me back to fun times. And I also liked when we saw Ralph and Vanellope in those games, we did get, I think, one or two shots as the arcade looks like it. And we got to see 8-Bit Ralph in these places and 8-Bit Vanellope. That was a lot of fun for me to see them more pixelated versus the 3D animated representations. But I agree with Justin here. As an old-school gamer, I missed the background characters. It looked like they have just reused what they had before, by and large. Zangief is back. Hubert is back. You know, they didn't go any deeper. There was nobody from Pole Position or anything like that. They just had the Pac-Man and the Ghost. They reference Frogger, but we never see Frogger. It's going to go different places. In the end, this isn't a problem for me, but... I liked the first half hour of the first movie best of all the Wreck It Ralph that it is in existence because of its referencing and. Because of
1: your age, because you know those games.
3: Yes, exactly. But I'm just saying that that's the best Wreck It Ralph has ever been, still to me, is that first half hour of the first movie.
1: I'm glad they didn't do it. I'll put it out there. If they had spent more time and brought in other characters, and ooh, Ladybug is causing some flirtation problems. No, I don't need that. All of that stuff. It's fine that they want to go to the internet, again, makes it feel entirely contemporary. And the fact that Ralph is going to break it, Sometimes I want to break the internet. So, again, this all is building towards an anticipation I want to see happen. I'm not in love with the kind of slapdash way they have to set it up to get them there, though. I do think it's really, like, there's so much that they have to do in order to get us to the place. The movie is lagging for me, frankly, in the opening here until they can get into the modem and get us to the story and, and what they really want to get to.
0: It's lagging, yet it's really dense with story elements, you know, B and C plot type of things that they set up and then just kind of leave off until the very end of the movie where they tag on an ending to it. There's not a lot of back and forth or any back and forth. It's like once we get to the Internet, we stay there until the story is resolved.
3: I will agree with Stuart. I like that they took this new places. You can only stay in the arcade for so long. They needed to broaden the world. They needed to bring in new characters somehow. Going to the Internet's the right way. But it really feels forced how they got them there. They broke the wheel. Okay, so they overhear real people talking about eBay. And Ralph's like, let's just go on the Internet and find this eBay.
1: And why is Litwick hooking up a dial-up in 2018 anyway? Why hasn't he gotten it before? Or why get it now? It's completely happenstance.
3: Yeah. And once they're in there, their motivation is theoretically get a steering wheel before the scrap guy comes. But... It never really feels like that's their mission. It feels like that's their excuse for going on different adventures. So as much as they reference, we must get the steering wheel, we must get the steering wheel. We never cut back to the arcade where Fix-It Felix and Calhoun have adopted all 15 other racers from Sugar Rush and they look like video game brats dolls and they're going to be terrors. We never cut back and see like the arcade is doing poorly or Fix-It Felix is having problems with these kids. Once they're on the internet, the arcade is forgotten and it just removes any sense of urgency that the film had.
0: Yes, totally. And that's going to be one of my major dings for this movie is is that there really is no antagonist in this movie. And I think they lost an opportunity here to have maybe a real-world antagonist. Maybe we could see somebody who's actually outbidding them for this wheel in the real world and have that tie into the arcade somehow while we go back and forth between being in the internet and out there in real life. But as it stands... This movie loses a little bit of its heart by not coming back to see what's going on in the arcade time to time. I will just say this much.
1: As someone that came into this movie not knowing anything, my presumption was they would strengthen the bond between Felix and Ralph. I was shocked he's barely in the film. I couldn't believe they
3: could bother to get the real voice actors back to do what must have been five minutes. I had the exact same thought. When this movie's starting, I'm like, okay, I knew the characters would separate. I'm like, they wanted to make the first movie. Their initial concept was a Ralph and Felix Road movie, I thought that's what this would be. No, Felix is left in the arcade, barely seen again. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So what they've done is that they've created a wonderland. You know, I mentioned Through the Looking Glass last time. That is what the internet is in this world. It's a sprawling metropolis that is always on. The sun never rises or sets. And every site is its own skyscraper. And it looks pretty equal. I mean, I think it's funny. Google is only one tower. I'm like, I think it would be its own continent.
3: But I think the height of the building is based upon the size of the site. So that's why there were certain skyscrapers. I was impressed with the complete number of copyrights that are used here. I mean, they have Google, they have Apple stuff. I know Disney and Apple are a little bit at odds. They have Amazon. Disney and Amazon are not getting along right now either. You can't pre-order most Disney movies on Amazon because Amazon has their own digital store. And so the fact that They got all the licenses to use this. They have the real YouTube logo there, although they're not really going to play with YouTube. They're going to create their own buzz tube. But yeah, IP explosion. Everyone would want
1: in on this. I mean, it's one of those things where free advertising, if you're anyone
3: on the Internet, you want to be in this film. I get that. You say free advertising. I'm thinking the opposite. Google, will you pay us? YouTube, will you pay us?
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just they didn't want to be the M and Ms of E. T. This time around, you know. I mean, you have you have a movie that is going to be huge, no doubt about it. If they come to you and say, "Hey, Google, would you like to have your logo in our movie?" You're gonna say yes. Yeah, and you could complain it's product
1: placement and selling websites and all of that, but I think this is satire. They are trying to satirize the internet, and the more real they can make it, the sharper that satire is. I think that it was the right impulse to put as much as they could and then slip in their own characters. When we meet original characters, I do feel like they have the flavor of Lewis Carroll's Wonderland. The first one we meet feels a lot like the Caterpillar. It's Alan Tudyk's Knows More, which is, yeah, a search engine who has the aggressive
3: autofill. I like that they found a way to get Alan Tudyk back. He had used such a voice as the... Mayor of Sugar Rush in the last film, that he's able to put on a different voice here. Didn't recognize him. I was just, it wasn't until the end credits that I knew it was him. But yeah, I, I did like the autofill feature. It was. That's
1: a joke that the Litwicks in the audience aren't going to get either. I do think if grandma took the kids, they're not even going to know what that is. I do think this movie, it has a balancing act in being able to talk
3: about all the pros and cons of the internet to all audiences who have various levels of experience with it. I sharpened my teeth doing early web design in the 90s when nobody was designing websites and have seen the evolution of websites. I really do like the personification. I like that when eventually you go to a skeezy pop-up ad website that it's cluttered and dirty. And it's like, yeah, they used old tech. They didn't have a good programmer doing it. But when you go to the big sites, it's like nice and clean and Saks Fifth Avenue style. So I went with this it's certainly taking more creative license. The first game, yeah, they created the Fix-It Felix game, they created the Sugar Rush game, but they were really going off of a template of 8-bit characters. Here, you're in the wide open because you have to personify a search engine. How do you do that? You have to personify what people interacting with the internet do, and the only nitpick I have is Nosemore seems really not very busy. Whereas if it was a popular search engine, I think it would be getting millions of questions per second.
1: Yeah, I just, again, I think of the caterpillar with the hookah going, Who are you when we meet this character? He's a good introduction. But you mentioned the apparatus of it all. They're doing a little bit of retweeting themselves. A lot of these ideas feel borrowed from inside out and from Wally. We've seen this kind of stuff before. We've seen Pixar handle these kind of, how do I talk about a child's inner life and in emotional states? Well, it looks like this sprawling metropolis. How do we look at the future where we're all obese and on flying beds? And it's kind of a satire on what we're becoming. There's even a Wally writer credited on this story. They had that as a framework. And I do think it's helping them to shape the internet into something digestible and fun and Wonderland-like.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, those are two very good callbacks. And, you know, at this point in the movie, I'm getting quite a bit of a Ready Player One type of vibe. We're walking into this virtual world. We're seeing sprawling shots of different buildings and stuff like that. But once we get to Nosmore, that's where this kind of separates itself. It's like, yes, we're going to look at this beautiful place and we're going to figure out how it works and stuff like that. But... Knows more, brings us into this fantasy world as an avatar and a helping person who's going to help move the story forward.
1: And he can't even say, um, without him, like, repeating, Umbrella, Uma Thurman, what, 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 you know? Like, that is fun to play with. Again, it's just a good original character, even though we've got all of these familiar buildings and places as well, like eBay, which they go to next.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of familiar buildings. I was also thinking Ready Player One with this, and think that they only really bring in familiar characters at one point and we'll get there but I think it's a missed opportunity to have other stuff walking around here other video game characters modern video game characters an orc from World of Warcraft something like that that would be on the internet
1: Uh Arnie they're going to be there when we get to Disney you're going to see a lot of characters I see around this room right now <laughs>
3: But Disney's going to promote their characters. And
1: again, I think it's right. Any child fantasy movie, you want to have ones that you've, you want to have things you've never seen before. And I think it's good. Is eBoy real? I don't use eBay. So that's how like out of touch I am. Is there an actual eBoy that to tell you when the auction's up?
0: And There's not an E-Boy, but you do get notifications on your phone. You'll get push notifications and emails and stuff like that. So th- that was kind of a cute way to personify a modern-day messenger.
1: They could have actually had that, and I wouldn't have known that. I never bid on stuff, but I do believe that when people do, they go for tortillas that look like Beyonce and (laughs) for some reason a taxidermy,
3: what, goat or something? I like the black velvet painting of the cat. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I mean, it's subtle criticism that that we can be very silly and foolish when we go on the internet. So, of course, characters that don't even understand the concept of money or children. I mean, I hear these stories about kids ordering crates of cookies from Alexa, you know, that it it just happens. They go on the internet. They think, oh, wow, let's just get it because we can. We just shout out a number and suddenly we have the steering wheel. (laughs)
3: Also, eBay does not allow you to sell things like used artificial hips or any organs or used clothing items like undergarments. So there are some rules that they don't do. (laughs) And eBay also, when you bid, I know they made it like an auction, but like. When they outbid the human that's there, the thing doesn't jump to your maximum bid. It jumps to a dollar over his bid.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was some that's not how this works type of moments in the eBay <laughs> part. but
1: No, but they did it to themselves because Penelope and Ralph are doing there and they don't know the rules. They're just creating the biggest numbers they can think of and they're the ones that drive it up. So it would have probably have stayed low, but they just kept coming up with numbers.
3: I actually did think that, but it would still just be whatever the bid before 27000 is. Okay,
0: guys. Have a little (laughs) fun, will you, please? (laughs) This is also where it becomes apparent a little bit more than it has up to this point that the people that we're seeing that look like little Funko Pops are actual people's avatars in the internet.
1: My nieces recognize them. When they leave eBay and Ralph is mad, he throws a sign and it crushes someone. And we we learned the rules. What does that mean when you die in this world? It means that you get disconnected from the internet. When they cut to the couch and someone is on their laptop, I guess that's a famous YouTuber. I didn't even catch the name, but they knew who it was.
0: Eh, It's Miranda
1: Sings. She's kind of an obnoxious YouTube celebrity. Okay. I mean, they kind of all are to me because I just don't know it. It's not my culture. And again, it's not to disparage them. They might all be wonderful people with lots to offer, but I do think it's generational. I didn't grow up thinking that that's where I would get my entertainment. And so I'm just a little apprehensive to do so. But they've sprinkled those kinds of people throughout this movie. I guess they shouted a few other ones throughout the films. That my, my nieces knew I did not.
3: Oh, I did not know any of those references at all, but... You knew Chewbacca Mom, I'm sure. Oh, God, the Chewbacca Dad thing? (laughs) That was a groaner, because I didn't like Chewbacca Mom. That was one of, like, the
0: worst viral videos ever, but... That was a long 15 minutes, wasn't it?
1: At any rate, it was charming enough if you like that kind of thing. The point is they need real money. They need to find out what money is and they need to make a lot of it fast because they've been given 24 hours to come up with a valid credit card number or to have the
3: dollar amount. And. I know. I'm just wondering how this is like working in the real world. Somebody has a physical wheel that was going for $200. It got $27,000. I would have loved to have popped out to an internet cafe <laughs> where this guy's like, I'm getting a car! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> i changed my life. <laughs> but just, just something to show real world impact. They do it a little bit later, so I think it would have been fun to have just more inserts of that. But... I love the way they do the pop-up ads. They
0: seem so real. (laughs) Street barkers. Yeah, what a perfect representation of what pop-up ads are.
1: Not only that, but the avatars, sometimes the ones that can't afford it, have like the security guards that are like their pop-up blocker. Like, I'm just going (laughs) to shield you from that. You don't even go anywhere (laughs) near them. Yeah, I I liked that representation. (laughs) But, you know, there's nothing to hate about J.P. Spanley. He's actually kind of a fun new character as well. He's kind of an ally leading them closer to their mission.
3: Yeah, I wondered. I always see the ads, the stupid frickin' ads They're like on big news sites. I do not know why the New York Times would allow themselves to have such spammy ads on there. But make money playing video games. I've never clicked it. Mm -mm. But I always have wondered how you make that money. Loot sales. That makes sense. I used to play Star Wars Galaxies and things, and I may have paid somebody 200 real dollars for an in-game blaster. It's the new cheating.
0: I mean, all these games, you know, a lot of them are free, or some of them you pay a fee, and then all the things inside of these games, you can either slowly earn credits towards earning, or you can just straight up buy credits in the game and buy the things you want. So yeah, of course that means that's another type of economy, And people in the real world are going to use real money to game the system.
1: Yeah, I've heard horror stories about this Fortnite and like families destroyed because kids are raiding the mom's purse to get real money to buy the fake things in the game and not. It's actually probably a problem, but because we're watching a kid's movie, we can just normalize it into a a much more digestible story. It doesn't have to be as tragic as it probably is. There was a murder over it. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Again, stop. I just want to stay in this (laughs) Ralph world. I don't want to go too much deeper into that because that's hurtful. The point is, if they're going to make any real money, they need to get the best car available in Slaughter Race. And that means a racing game. Vanellope is happy. She gets to see a, a different kind
3: of racing game. I wondered what Slaughter Race would be. I was envisioning something like Carmageddon, where the whole point was to run over people. I'm like, that's a little dark for Disney. It is a little <laughs> dark.
1: And I think this movie tries to push that. Again, I was reminded of Wally, and like, there's just a little bit extra here. There's a little extra acrid, acidic, satirical taste to what they're doing that I think is brave and worth
3: a applauding. Both Wally and Inside Out, those are Pixar, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: But Slaughter Race ends up being Grand Theft Auto, right? Mm-hmm. It's definitely rated
3: M. That's all I can tell you. When
1: you see it, the fact that there's a fog of mace, it's mentioned at one point, that they're wandering around. And it's just they don't do the kinds of things Grand Theft Auto. Obviously, there's no sexual assault or murder, but you feel like it's happening just off screen, right? <laughs> Anywhere around the corner that's
3: going on. I like that The characters in the game shanks gang have this existential discussion of is it any fun for the player if they can't ever get this because there are certain games that are just too hard to beat or certain things that are just unobtainable that are out there and yeah as a player i get really frustrated
1: Yeah, here's where I'm at. Like, up to this point, I think that the movie's told me it's a silly quest in which they've got to do all these shenanigans and go through all these different parts of the internet to keep their game alive. I haven't really paid attention to what they're really telling me, and that is Vanellope doesn't want to live in her game anymore. This is the point where I think the movie really kicks into gear because it becomes about something that is emotional, that I can connect to, and that is what happens when friends grow apart, what happens when somebody wants something that the other one doesn't. They told me that in the introductory montage, and I wasn't listening, but when we meet Shank... I'm hearing it now because at first I don't like Shank. I'm like, Shank is too cool for school. She can do everything. And Scal Gadot, I don't think she's a good
3: actress. And Why do you hire her for voice? I get it. She was in The Fast and the Furious. So she does kind of make sense as part of the street race gang. But when I heard she was in this movie, I'm like, her enunciation is not her strong point.
0: No, no, no. Yeah.
3: And she sounds just like Wonder Woman. That wasn't even an affect
1: that she really does have (laughs) that broken English. (laughs) <laughs>
3: but the movie confused me because I did get right away Vanellope is bored with her game. And that's why Ralph did this. I figured she was going to find something to invigorate her on the internet. But when her game's going to be unplugged, she's like, but I want my game. So she's torn, which is actually more emotional maturity than I'm used to seeing in a cartoon.
1: Absolutely. That's what I'm saying about selling this movie kicks in. It went from like, yeah, this is okay to like, oh, I really can personally, as an adult, relate to this and what's going on. I mean, I've left my hometown because it didn't offer enough. I know what that is in the drama of leaving people behind and the push and pull of that. That is a great thing to
3: explore and and something I did not think that this movie would be able to handle. But she doesn't have the pull to stay home much. She only has it at the moment when she's told she can't does she want to save the game? She pretty quickly, she doesn't even care about making sure her former racer buddies can get back. She becomes all about discovering what it's like to hang out with Shank. It's up to Ralph to save all the rest of Sugar Rush.
1: Well, she does get involved. She'll help promote his viral video. She's not totally disengaged, but yes, she's found a new best friend. And again, that's another reason not to like this Shank character. Oh wait, you're coming between Ralph and Vanellope? Well, I I like Ralph a lot more than I like Vanellope, I'd hate to see this happen. So my heart is definitely going for the big guy here. And I I can feel him, all the jealousy and all the things that he's going to do for her by, yeah, humiliating himself for viral video is a testament to a friend, yeah, trying to keep another friend from growing.
0: And I don't think it can be understated here. This theme that we're talking about, I think, is very well-timed, considering it's actually six years from the last time we've seen a movie in this series You know, there's probably a good chunk of kids that were 12, 13 years old when they were originally fans of the first movie that are now going through something very similar to this. They're off to college. They're making new friends. I love seeing movies that grow with their audience, and Toy Story has done it well over the years, and now to see something like Ralph doing it, kind of warms my heart a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's looking at it from a parental or mentor standpoint, because that is how I would feel about letting kids loose, either on the internet, or if I had kids that grew up and went away and moved to a big city. You would feel like, oh, but that's dangerous. That's scary. I want to protect you. I want to hold you back from that because all I can think of is all of the dangers that's there. Clearly, Slaughter Race is full of things we would not want to see happen to Vanellope. But at the same time, if you were Vanellope, you'd be tired of playing in the kitty game. I get
3: that, but by the same token, there are places where a naive person who's never left the farm shouldn't jump into. Slaughter Race, it's smog-filled, I mean, it is the representation of dystopia, and I get that Vanellope likes hanging with Shank and having a racer who can actually beat her and why that's fun, and a mother figure, I mean, the fact that she's female, too, is someone to admire, that's something Ralph can never do either. It just felt like it was too much. Like, I think I would have gone with it more if she went into need for speed. Slaughter Race just feels like you're going to be a homeless person on the street. You're going (laughs) to... Children need to go out on their own. They need to spread their wings and learn to fly, but they need to learn to fly in the right ways. This is like somebody saying... Yeah, I'm choosing to go live in a crack den.
0: <laughs> I can see that. But remember, we are in a video game world here. And I think what they're saying, you know, to an older generation, something like Grand Theft Auto and everything you've heard about it, if you've never played it, it does seem very dark and scary and dirty and violent. But do people who've actually played it. It is just fun. You're not seeing all this debauchery and, you know, the off-screen sex like Stuart was talking about with a game like Grand Theft Auto. It's just something fun while you're in it. So your perspective is going to be different based on what you know about that game. So having this ugly world, yes, I think you're right, Arnie. Like, if you want to make a real-world analogy to it, it's going to be some terrible war-torn place. But in the game, I think it does a great job of visually showing us a place that isn't necessarily going to be like a Disney Princess Castle.
3: But they set up things in the last movie that I feel are completely dropped here. Vanellope, she wasn't supposed to be able to leave her game because she had a glitch. Remember that? And at the start of this movie, she's sitting in the hub. And her glitching is now a thing that only happens when she gets nervous. And there's the statement from the first movie, if you die outside your game, you die for real. This is a place where I think people die a lot, and then they reboot the game and they're back. Vanellope shouldn't have that security i still want to know how she got out of sugar rush to begin with but can we just
1: take it on the metaphor that it's intended to be yes you can complain about the rules. the point is that when you're a teenager and you learn about other places and you want to go there and i do want to be a correspondent that goes and reports on iraq and i do want to do all of these i want to climb a mountain and all of these things you want to do when you're young and you do feel invincible and you haven't seen enough death yet That is the push and pull of the youth versus the parent. And this conflict, again, very relatable, both in how it applies to the internet and just in general for anyone that's tired of the simple track and wants to go off-road. This is a rockier road than Ralph could ever make for her. And I think that's the point. This is someone that wants to leave their parent, their friend, their comfort zone. But she's not left so much. I think what happens is Ralph says, okay, I'm going to make these videos. And then she's going to pick up a banner to promote them. It may have been that she wanted to go specifically back to the game world to promote them. They end up sending her to Disney Castle. But I at least feel like they're still friends in this moment. And she will think about him in this moment. And she is reluctant. Any hesitation she does express, it is
3: because it would hurt Ralph. And Ralph is just such a good friend. And I think what they do with Ralph here and the heart, 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 heart reminds me a lot of the cut subplot from the first movie where he went to that extreme Venus vacation and everything was like, 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 and he could buy clothes with more likes and he found that unfulfilling here they go a different way with his viral videos. He finds the hearts very fulfilling, and he loves that he makes money, and then he walks into the comments section, and that could not have been more appropriately timed for me this week than seeing Ralph in the comments section. I thought that was where he was going to wreck the internet. I actually thought that he would be starting to
1: use his fist, and they look like structural columns. If you notice the way the comment sections work, they keep going up and up and up. They look like pillars. I thought the internet could come down if you took away the way that people express themselves on it. I thought that might be where they go. They go somewhere different and I think somewhere better. But this almost feels like an idea of not fully explored. Yeah, he goes in there and he feels bad, but he just tells himself, I've just got to be thinking about this heart around my neck. Vanellope gave me this heart long ago that establishes she's my real friend. All of these other hearts are fake. So he has the right perspective to know everything I'm doing is for Vanellope. That's why it's going to hurt so much that Vanellope is not as dedicated to him. She likes Shank more than him on some level.
3: And Ralph's guide through this is yes... I don't know what that's trying to represent. I don't know who the voice actress for this is. I feel like this is a cultural reference. I'm not kidding.
1: Oh, well, I mean, I think you get it. She's described as the most important algorithm that runs the internet. And I like thinking of the internet that way. It's mostly about affirmation. Ultimately, what people come there for is not negativity, even though it feels like that sometimes. (laughs) When I go there, it's negativity. It's because they're going to get something. Yes, it's going to happen for me. And that's what draws all of these billions of people again and again to the internet with maybe facilitating it. I think this relationship is very funny. She's very shallow. She's very trendy. You know, they give him a drink because he's doing well and then they take it away because he's not go make more videos. All she cares about are the numbers. And yet I don't find her contemptible. I just find her kind of like the Mad Hatter at the tea party. The Internet is an insane game and she's the one that's at the head of the table.
0: Sure, yeah. She's like a Hollywood promoter, you know what I'm saying? She's an influencer, and if you endear yourself to her, she has the power to help you out in such a way. If fame is the type of thing that you need, she can help you that way.
3: I did like the algorithm. I was surprised the algorithm wasn't a villain. I do know some people who have quit their job and make their money off YouTube, and then YouTube changed their algorithm and screwed them royally. And also, I like the fact that Ralph got millions of hits you made $42. I mean, that is a harsh reality is you see these things and you really have to be constantly producing. It's almost like a self-imposed sweatshop. If you read about some of the grueling life, these full-time YouTubers have to do because they're constantly editing, posting, deleting everything. So they could have gone darker. I felt like, yes, felt too glamorous. It felt like a red carpet show. Well, I mean,
1: again, it's the positive side of the internet. We're going to meet the negativity in just a bit. But right now, it's important to remember what keeps people coming back is that there is good that comes out of this. Fortunes can change. People can feel connected. There's judgment here. I mean, obviously, the fact that Chewbacca dad is the encore to Chewbacca mom is not creative or inspired. We should walk away from these scenes asking, why are we devoting so much time to cat and baby videos? I do think the movie is comfortable leaving us just with that and saying, I'm not going to judge whether you should or not. I'm just going to raise up the point that that is as a culture, what we're obsessed with right now. And we want it. Yes, yes, yes.
3: And speaking of things we want, yes, yes, yes. They do send Vanellope to OhMyDisney.com, which I did not know. I'd never gone there before. I've mentioned my stands on Disney last show to some people's disconcernation, but it is a real site. OhMy.Disney.com.
0: You know, when they were originally making this... Disney Infinity was still a thing, and this was supposed to be Disney Infinity, so that's why... Wow! Yeah, a lot of these characters look like the action figures that you could purchase for this.
3: Oh, wow! That is blowing my mind, but that makes a bit more sense. I'm... Either way, I'm a little bit put off by the fact that she's going into Disney corporate and saying, these fan sites are amazing! This is not a fan site. (laughs) This is a product placement, but that they would go for that video game and use those iconic representations you've actually just solved a problem for me Justin because there are going to be stormtroopers here I mean she walks in she doesn't see a Lucasfilm logo but she sees Star Wars and Marvel and all this other stuff and when they run into stormtroopers I'm like couldn't you put some classic stormtroopers in there does it have to be first order stormtroopers can't you just respect the classic stormtroopers are the ones everybody's gonna love and yet They didn't have those characters because they were doing Force Awakens figures for that game. So that does make more sense now. And I guess because this is all Disney, that Disney owns Stan Lee because here is... A Stan Lee cameo, slightly sad because he did just pass away. Mm -hmm. No lines. I don't know if he was supposed to have any and they cut him or if he was never going to have any. I know we've got some future Stan Lee cameos coming up in future Marvel movies. But yeah, he's hanging out here along with Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. I saw Buzz Lightyear in the background as well as Grumpy from The Seven Dwarfs. I
1: appreciate they're at least honest. Yep, here's Disney, this is what we got, and we're real rich, and so you should come here. But they gotta play the same stupid games anyone else does. They still have to do BuzzFeed quizzes about which Disney princess are you. They have to play the same humiliating games.
3: Because that's what OhMyDisney.com is. I went there, and do you know what the first thing I saw was? Quiz, which Ralph breaks the Internet character are you? It's a real representation (laughs) of ohmy.disney.com. And everyone does it.
1: I mean, uh, there's probably no universe you could think of that doesn't have that quiz or doesn't try to cater in that way to suck you in for whatever your passion is. Everyone is a huckster here. And I think Disney is a rich huckster, but they are also admitting, yeah, we
3: grovel too. We're begging for you to come. Yeah, (laughs) I did like the incorporation of the other universes. It doesn't rankle me that they're in this Disney movie. I liked it. The Groot
0: Ask Me Anything is hysterical. (laughs) That was fun. And for some weird reason, they actually got Vin Diesel to voice Groot for this small part. I read that, and
3: my belief is... They just went to some recording sessions for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and just grabbed a couple IM Groots. But they also got Anthony Daniels. He will
1: be here as C-3PO to try and gather the Disney princesses. Again, this was the one scene I knew was coming. I think it's one of the best scenes in the film. It's a whole lot of fun. It's like if you love the Disney princesses, here's the reality show. What are they like when the cameras are not on them and they're at home lounging about in their dressing room?
3: Oh, that was hysterical, the way Pocahontas' hair just keeps flowing in the wind, even indoors. And I did watch five minutes of Brave, because when I was watching clips, I knew the we can't understand her, she's from the other studio joke was coming. I'm like... Does she really talk like that? Because I have seen some movies where I can't understand the Scottish characters because of the brogue being so thick. Train spotting. Yes. <laughs> so I did watch Five Minutes of Brave. She has an accent, but she's intelligible there versus here. So I appreciated all of that. But what does this have to do with furthering the character development of Vanellope?
1: Everything. Because she is a princess and she counts. I mean, we see all these different representations. Usually we focus in on the ethnicity. They have a rainbow collection here, which makes Vanellope... The Jewish one? Is that the princess she's going for? The funny Jewish princess? I think that's what Sarah Silverman is going for here. And she bonds with them. The point is not that she is so different. The point is she just hasn't found her song yet. That all princesses sing about what they most want. And she tries the, you know, oh, steering wheel, oh, steering wheel. And well, that ain't the song. What she hasn't faced up to yet is what she most wants is to live at Slaughter Race. And when she finally gets that musical number, I think it's a killer.
0: Yeah, this is the point of the movie where I think it's either going to make it or break it. For a lot of people, you know, if you're a fan of the Disney princesses, you're going in thinking, oh, geez, hopefully they don't rip them to pieces and ruin what we know about them. And if you're kind of like us, where it's like, uh, Disney princesses, it's so saccharine and it's aimed at little girls. I don't know if I want this in my movie. I think they walk that line perfectly here. I think they do just enough reverence towards the characters yet tear them down and show them as real people. So, to me, they struck a great balance in this scene with these princesses. And you're right, the joke in there is that Penelope needs to find her song, and the only advice they can give her is to sing about something she wants, and she needs some sort of water to look at while doing it.
1: They aren't delicate in need of rescue princesses, though. Like, Cinderella is going to take her glass slipper and break it and turn it into a shank. I mean, they are definitely wanting to sell the idea, all our
3: women are strong, and we're not like the old-fashioned princesses. I got that, but by the same token also, I think this was appealing to me because this whole section feels like a mockery of Disney classic animated films. You get the princesses, you dress them down in sweats. I mean, that's taking the Disney princess thing that little girls have looked up to forever and kind of tearing it apart. And then you're going to get Alan Menken, who has written some of Disney's most known hits and musical numbers, and get him to write a song about slaughter race. Yeah, well, he he wrote the South Park stuff,
1: too. I mean, this is somewhere in between. Somewhere in between a classic Disney song and a complete debasement. I think it was Shrek, right, that portrayed Walt Disney as being this kingdom where they enslave fairy tales. (laughs) They're not totally dissing themselves, but I do think they're coming down from their lofty pretense about what a woman should be back in 1940 or 42 when they drew Sleeping Beauty. They know this needs to be contemporary. I think, yes, Vanellope is the most contemporary princess they have the surprise was it was only a scene c-3po comes to grab them take them away for another quiz which they hate doing and they do feel like privileged stars having worked in hollywood i'm like yep this is exactly what it is to go (laughs) collect someone from their dressing room but it's a nice moment and again it underlines the fact that this movie is not about getting a wheel it's about finding
3: your place in the world I guess, yes, this told her to sing the song by staring into a spilled glass of water. But to me, I felt like her, oh, my Disney stuff. And don't get me wrong. I was having fun. But it was at this moment that I'm like, I don't know what this movie is. I get what the arcs are. I get what they're going for. But it's kind of shambling and aimlessly wandering around the Internet like me when it's 11 o'clock at night and I know I should go to bed and I'm like, let me check this side. Let me check this side. I just don't feel this movie is very cohesive. Well, I
1: think that it does shamble in the beginning to get to where it's going. It was shambling, but now that it's found what it's about again, Ralph gets his money now. I got 30000 The wheel's being shipped. It's going to get there. Yay! I'm like, is this movie over? No, of course not. Because that was never the conflict. We thought that was the conflict. That was the excuse. And so we devoted a lot of time to a uh, Wild Goose Chase. That really is not the point. The point is, this is a girl that wants to stay in Wonderland. And her friend's got to go back and be where he's always happy. Because he said that in the opening series scenes. I don't want anything more. I have everything that I need. Why on earth would I want to go? The internet might have been fun for him. He probably enjoyed a few of those makeup videos, but (laughs) I don't think overall
3: he wants to be there. This whole bit makes me like Ralph less because I would think at some point he would want to grow beyond where he is too. He is so oafish and stupid that I really wish there was some arc for him. He has an arc of learning to let go but he never has an arc about leaving his comfort zone. And I think that would be an equally important part as supporting those who are ready to leave their comfort zone. But he is because
1: he's going to lose his best friend. I mean, that's where it gets lost. Is I mean, I've met people that are satisfied with what they have and you ask, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, yeah, I might move into the house down the street. You know, like, their dreams aren't big and that's okay. I mean, not everyone shoots for the moon. And that vanilla he wants to it just means that they're going to grow apart one way or the other
0: and also that was kind of the arc Ralph had in the original movie I mean if you think about it he wanted more than what he had just being the bad guy yeah good point and so he's already kind of completed that and now he's satisfied. He's got everything he wanted. He's not the bad guy anymore. He has friends and all that stuff. So he this does become about him wanting to not let go. And I think maybe what you're feeling, Arnie, is something that I was feeling is, is there's no external antagonist that's tearing our two heroes apart. It's themselves. It's their own inner conflict that's tearing them apart.
1: Which I like. I can understand why that's frustrating because in fairy tales and fantasies, we need those characters. And Disney is very good about creating those kinds of enemies, like something with tentacles is going to come up and we're going to all hate that. But yeah, even Shank, she was the one that gave the idea to go make some videos and make money the right way. I mean, everyone here has been helpful. Again, if you have the right attitude, the internet is a place of yes and positivity. Unfortunately, Ralph just is not there anymore, which is why we're finally going to get the internet broken. He's going to go to the dark net.
3: I thought he was encountering Vinnie Jones, the voice of the two-headed guy who's selling the viruses. Double Dan? Yeah, I thought it was Vinnie Jones. It's Alfred Molina. Yeah, he has that
1: voice naturally. I know he's played lots of different characters here, but I like this bit because probably the unsung favorite of my character, he's not really a character, but the creature I've enjoyed the most in this film is little Gord. Yes! We didn't know what (laughs) Gord was. He was just kind of hanging around J.P.'s family and just handing him things when he needed it. And he's just a tumor that fell out of the (laughs) darkness. And here we see
0: who's growing the tumors. Man, we haven't really talked much about the quality of animation and the different styles that they're employing here, but is it just overly obvious how good animation has gotten today when we're looking at this tumor and seeing all the splotchiness and little white hairs of his skin? I was shuddering eating my popcorn watching this guy.
3: I honestly thought he was the Mucinex booger, you know, Mm -hmm. from the ads. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's as close as we're going to get. To one of those monsters.
1: But even he, again, it's not the point of defeating him. He's not going to grow large and be the thing that gets slayed. It's the insecurity that's going to grow and large. That people use the internet for bad because they are insecure is a really sophisticated idea. More
3: sophisticated than Disney normally deals in. And I agree, and I appreciate this movie for that. This is a drama. This is a film about personal growth. You don't see that too often in animation, and I appreciate that they do this. I just think it could have been tightened up a little bit with a little bit less Disney product placement. I loved those scenes. I loved the AMA. I love C-3PO. It hit me where I live, quite literally, but it also made me feel like this movie was... Just kind of meandering. You felt this in the middle of the movie? Because
1: I was feeling it at the beginning, for sure. But now I'm totally invested in these characters in ways I've never been.
3: No, and this is where I noticed kids in the audience starting to get restless, too. About the 50-minute mark, kids were, like, talking to their parents, wanting refills of popcorn, wanting to go to the bathroom. Their attention span had gotten peaked. But this crime boss says again, we could have spent a lot more time with him.
1: He's just going to hand off Arthur, which is this wormy little insecurity virus that you just put him inside wherever you want, and he's going to find the most insecure part and expand upon that, which just happens to be in Slaughter Race,
3: Vanellope, her glitch. And I took that with internet security, and so looking at An insecurity virus was kind of fun for me, and the fact that it would look for the worst written code and replicate any vulnerabilities that it finds, I love that. The fact that her glitch becomes the virus and everything starts glitching like she does, that to me seemed like a realistic representation and personification of network security.
1: And it's also true. It's like, yes, she had processed that her glitch gave her powers and gave her confidence, but it's also a glitch. And there are times when it is not helpful. And I do think the number value is actually 30%. It read her and it goes, "Uh, you're about 30% insecure. And I think that's right. She's 70% a very confident racer, but there's always going to be this element to her. And it found it, exploited
3: it, and now she's got to get out of the game so it can reboot. And that's what I didn't get out of that scene is that when it said insecure, it was talking about emotionally. I don't get that until it hits Ralph. I actually took it as they meant programmatically insecure because the code has a glitch. Right.
1: And she doesn't belong there. I mean, she is a character outside of this game. So maybe in just that respect, she is also a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, it works on both levels, obviously, but once we get to it scanning Ralph, it's working definitely on the emotional level.
1: 100% insecure because they've had a fight. Not only is he just much more insecure in general, a bumbling oaf, but she broke his heart. I mean, literally, she tossed that medallion down into, I think they call it Dial-Up Express, an area you never want to (laughs) go.
3: Just Litwick is down there. (laughs) I remember the Express modems that were 28.8 and things like that. Again, I was doing web design back then. I love that they had discarded old Windows 3.1 icons around there. I mean, when they referenced old internet stuff, it hit me almost as nostalgically as when they brought out Tapper and Qbert. Yeah,
1: I do feel like the history of the internet is exploited in the same way that the history of coin-op video games was in the first movie. And so the more familiar you are with the 90s, I suppose, the better this movie is going to be with its jokes. I think this movie is only kind of funny. It's arguable that this movie is not as funny as the first film, but I do think dramatically I'm just much more invested as we head into this climax and we got millions of Ralphs swarming like World War Z swarming all over the internet and he's broken the internet this way. I didn't think it would be like this. I figured he would do something clumsy and foolish and need to repair it. I didn't know that they would be able to tie it into the idea that yes, viruses that spread throughout the internet come from people that are insecure and angry. This
3: is where we get to see the outside world. And we get to see the Ralphs doing things like turning shopping carts over and people's items are just removed from their shopping carts. They must have been on Mondo's site. And they announce it as a DDOS, a distributed denial of service attack. So the real world is seeing things that have happened in the real world. There Mm -hmm. are those times when the major internet backbones all got hit by those viruses. So this is all working for me. When there were a lot of Ralphs doing dangerous things, when they became one giant Ralph, that's where the metaphor lost it for me. That is no representation of the internet. That is just the movie deciding to consolidate its bad guys into working for the story and not working for the environment they're trying to symbolize.
1: Well, Disney movies need, I mean, again, I i always think of Ursula getting giant at the end of Little Mermaid. But it always seems like they grow big. There's a giant dragon at the end of Sleeping Beauty. You need something giant. And again, I assumed it was going to be Double Dan. This is the correct impulse. To make it his own inner conflict swelling up, it does feel right. And the irony of that, everyone was passing around his viral
0: videos. Now everyone's passing around his virus. That feels like a good bookend as well. It's also a nice change from the first movie that does have somewhat of a violent resolution to how they defeat the main bad guy. You know, I mean, we're in that first one. We're stuck above Diet Cola Mountain and we see Turbo holding Ralph's eyes open so we can watch his friend die. Like that was dark and it was a little violent. This one, yes, we have a giant insecure Ralph. But the way that we resolve this is through talking and understanding, which I think is a good message here.
3: I agree. It's a great message for kids. However, I really wanted to get to the antivirus thing and get them tricked into walking through Norton or something. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that was what we were told, right? That they needed to walk through the Mm gates to totally Pied Piper style. I still feel like that needed to happen. There are times in this movie where out of convenience, like the communicator just opens up and people hear things they shouldn't. There's just some lazy writing in this movie. I'll go ahead and say I'm slightly irritated that it's the catchphrase from Frozen, just let her go. You know, they've tweaked it that, like, that just magically makes the thing fall apart. But I'm with you on this much, Justin. My nieces cried at the end when the cybugs were attacking. They thought that was really intense in the first movie. They were not crying because it was intense this time. They were just crying when they saw Vanellope and... Ralph separate.
0: Yeah, and to both your points, it would have been fun if maybe there was a few straggler Ralphs that they had to clean up and get through that antivirus gate just to see how it worked, because that's kind of a thing that never paid off.
3: And you talked about the animation. I was really focusing. There's a Clive Barker story about towns that go to war with each other by creating giant mountains of people, and so, like, a whole bunch of villagers stand on top of each other to form the leg and things, and it's this horrific story about the D humanization of the individual in exchange for the collective and so i was really wondering how would they animate all the ralphs when we get close-ups and it's like this weird undulating wave of ralphs that they kind of looped it was very strange and very hypnotic
1: but not amplified by 3d the 3d didn't add much more to the effect that wasn't already there done by the animators
0: yeah you're right it was You know, the close-up shots, if you paid attention to the background, they were constantly just slowly crawling over one another. You know, it's not like they were just holding on to one another to form a body. They were, like you said, undulating and moving the whole time. It was a little unsettling. Yeah. But they wrap it all up. Really, again, I think they gave it to the Disney
1: princesses to really do the rescuing here. That Ralph is falling and they're able to collectively create a parachute and put him in Sleeping Beauty's bed. And, you know, again, the message they want to send. They're speaking specifically to young girls like Vanellope. The same ones they're talking about that I think you're right are now ready to go on and do something
3: outside the nest. You can do it. You can do anything. You can save Ralph. And I liked the Frogger joke. When the princess and the frog, the frog kisses him to wake up. You know, a reversal sleeping beauty there. And he's not kissed by a woman. I was surprised Ralph never found love in this movie, too. I kind of thought going in, save. I'm telling you, it's part three. That's my prediction (laughs) A a female Ralph. Mrs. Ralph is coming. I just, for some reason, going into this movie, thought that would happen. But it's not going to be with one of these princesses. He's kissed by a frog. And he just... Frogger? <laughs> yeah,
1: that it reminds you about old coin which we'd completely forgotten about at this point. But he's going to have to go back and make friends with them. And again, that, that seems right. You know, he had a world before her. Their friendship is only six years old. Sometimes that happens. You have a really intense friendship, romantic or whatever it is. And then it ends for whatever reason. And you can still care about them, but you're going to go on in a different track. And so there were some tears in my small audience.
3: I could definitely see that everyone was very touched. My audience was quiet, which was rare, but I didn't hear crying. I didn't see tears, but I was behind everybody too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a fitting emotional end to this story. The whole time it's been building up to being able to remain friends with somebody, yet let them be themselves. And it's a perfect resolution to the story that they've laid out for us. Right.
1: It's very Toy Story too. I always think about, like, Andy always has to reflect on what the toys meant as he grows up and leaves them behind. It's natural. You would not want a 25-year-old still playing with his Woody doll. There has to be a time to move on, and they do that. And I do think that while they're barely in this movie, Calhoun and Felix do have a point in that they represent that great change can happen and be positive. That it looked like, oh God, when last we saw them, they inherited 15 brats and their life was ruined. And when we come back into the story, they're actually better racers, they're more polite, that they have the secret to parenting. You just can't hear it over the drowning out of racing sounds.
3: The thing is, I liked the joke of, we've never talked about becoming parents, but but that's just like the thing you jump into with both feet And Narya <laughs> Thought. I thought that should really backfire because that is not how you jump into parenthood. <laughs> right.
0: I do like that little subplot going on, but at the same time, it is just a little rote. I mean, like you said, Arnie, it's like something you jump into and- It'll work out fine. But at the end of the day, what's the message is that they can handle them as long as they're not in their house. Because when they were in their apartment, everything was chaos. But now they're good parents because those kids are living back in their own game.
1: Yeah, well, that helps. Certainly having the right amount of space. The old woman in the shoe probably became a better parent when they went to other shoes. But I do think yeah, <laughs> that they saved Sugar Rush and that it will continue and that they got the wheel was a good thing. But it wasn't the point. The point is, the message I take is that someone can choose to do something radical that seems like a terrible idea and dangerous and you worry for them. And then life proves that it ends up okay. That's what we put our faith in when we send people off into the wiles of the internet or
3: other parts of of their life that aren't going to involve you. And as credits roll, I'm sitting there, I'm reading all the names. I kind of like the icons that go up with the credits, but my God, the credits, they're so long. And I had been in the theater forever. Marjorie was actually worried that I'd seen a different movie or something because of the 30 minutes of trailers. And as these things go, I'm reading like caffeination gets a credit. And of course, it tech support, human resources are now in the film credits, human resources, payroll,
1: Yeah. It helps when you at least like the song, but it's Imagine Dragons Hero. I just, it's just a little too sugary pop for me. And I just, I was waiting because we have to wait these things out. It wouldn't bother me in the least if I could get up and go when the credits start rolling, but we
3: have to wait for these teases. And there are two of them. The first one, I'd forgotten. Again, I watched all the trailers. I'd completely forgotten the pancake milkshake, pancake milkshake. And so this little girl is in the backseat of a car, and they're like, how'd you like the movie? I didn't like when they have scenes in the trailers that aren't in the movie. That was very mature of her, because I feel the same way. <laughs> I was
1: just about to say, we should invite her to come on down playing. She can work as a host. <laughs>
3: But I, I was like, "What scene?" And now I, I'm stuck with this conundrum, like this Confucius-like riddle. Was this scene drawn to be in the trailer? And just this joke? Or was this scene drawn to be something that happened to them on the internet? And then when it was cut, it became the joke. (laughs) I could find out if
1: you want to. Again, I know someone that was in the room. They were getting the coffee, but they were in the room when this thing was being retooled. And things did change around. That's all that she would say that I can say on the record. There were things that were going to be here and that got pulled. As any movie you find, I don't know if this scene specifically was one of those.
0: Well, I have read that this scene was cut from the movie for pacing and then they made it this mid-credit scene and added the joke to it, so... It works
1: better that way, honestly, I think. I don't know where you would put it in the actual flow of the story that it had so many fits and starts it might have been disruptive. Here, it is just a funny punchline, but not the funniest. I do think that anytime you uh, get Rick
3: rolled, it's going to be the best joke. Okay, so the... Mid-credits scene is pretty early on. And really, most of my crowd, full theater, about, I'd say, 80% left immediately when the credits started. Yeah, But the 20% that stayed all left after the pancake milkshake joke. Yeah, everyone was gone but me, and I was begging the nieces, please just stay, please. And so I got up, and I went to the corner of the theater in the back and just stood there watching. And this theater guy comes in cleaning up. He's like... You waiting to see if there's something at the very end? I'm like, yeah, is there? He goes, yeah, but you're not going to like it. And this leaves me puzzled. I'm standing there for like 10 minutes of credits. Like he doesn't know me. How does he know my taste? Is it going to be something Disney princess? Does he think I don't like Disney princesses? I mean, I'm in this movie. What is it going to be that I don't like? I'm really confused. And then it comes up and now a preview of Frozen 2. And I literally, I slump, I hang my head down and I walk out. And the guy's like, no, no, stay, wait for it, wait for it. I'm like, I don't want to see Frozen 2. (laughs) Oh, I knew they weren't going to do it. It was obvious to
1: me they had something, a pop-up banner pop up as they, we're saying it i knew that this was going to be a rug pulling but i it was it was nice they get it to the note i mean they literally i know that video well enough to know like when they edit to the waiter polishing the glasses uh-huh. and all of that that is the video for rick astley's never going to give you up
3: And it is a great joke for the internet, because that is the internet prank, is you're telling them, click this link to see one thing, and you're seeing something else. So you're telling me we're not doing a Frozen
1: retrospective next Thanksgiving when Frozen 2 actually does come out? Oh, they're (laughs) making a Frozen 2? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it is happening. And again, I imagine there are a segment of the theater that really probably got very primed, because we haven't seen anything yet.
3: Not a segment of my theater, because it was literally only me. But it's weird to me. Do people like getting Rickrolled now? Because both this movie... And Bumblebee, which we're reviewing in a few weeks, have Rick Astley jokes in them.
1: Yeah, this movie shared Deadpool 2's joke about the joy of painting and Bob Ross. I mean, I think sometimes scriptwriters just, maybe they talk to each other too much. There's crossover.
0: Yeah, I think the Rick role is mostly dead, but I think it works here for this crowd where we're talking about a ubiquitous internet type of thing. Especially where Ralph is becoming an internet celebrity by becoming a meme.
1: Yeah, and did you notice that Vanellope said that she was going to get upgraded on January 25th? I think they're telling us when this thing is going to hit DVD. I think that's, <laughs> they we're literally putting in the movie, you can expect to see this in two months on your shelf, uh, and you can buy it.
3: What a short window. That is so short. I can't believe Venom's coming out before Christmas on Blu-ray.
1: Yeah. What's theaters? That, yeah. <laughs> that's what he's going to have to come back and fix. Come on, Felix. Where's the hammer?
3: The theater going experience is dead. Well, Justin Stewart, do you recommend Ralph Breaks the Internet? Justin.
0: Going into this, I was a little apprehensive because Disney is not known for making sequels or at least sequels that aren't direct to video anyway. So this is one of their first forays into making a sequel to one of their original properties and putting it in the theater. And so I really didn't know what to expect. Like, was this something that they were going to take seriously? Was it a money grab from a property that they feel like, hey, we own this, let's go for it. But I was pleasantly surprised to be thrown back into this world and see what these characters have been up to for the last six years. So it did a few things that I need to sit with for a little bit and probably watch it a few more times to really let it sink in. But on a surface level, the first time through, I had a feeling like something was missing. Like, I didn't know if it was the heart of the movie, or if it was just the visuals of this movie's weren't as fun and playful as the last one, or if the fact that there was no main bad guy for us to rally around. But after talking through this with you guys, I think all that stuff is done very purposefully, and it's The fact that they're trying to tell a different type of story and where they take Ralph and Vanellope is a natural progression of the characters that we met in that first movie. So, if you would have talked to me the minute I walked out of this movie, I would have been a little bit more sour on it. But now that I've been with it for a few days and I've thought about it a little bit more, I think I'm going to enjoy this movie more and more each time I see it. So, for me, I like it and I want to see it again and I'm going to give it a recommend. It's not quite up there with the original. But it's just barely below it for me. So it's a it's a good green arrow for me. Stewart.
1: Yeah, I'm going to call it an overall upgrade to Wreck-It Ralph, as I suspected it might be. I felt like there were things that could have been improved about the last one, and here the writers have taken a Felix Fix-It Hammer to some of the movie's charming kind of irrelevance, is how I would characterize it. I found it mildly recommendable, the first movie, but it was just kind of 80s kids could get nostalgic about their old games, and millennials could laugh at poop patter and sugary foods. I just didn't feel like there was a lot of contemporary issues, if you're dealing with arcades and such other than the passing inclusive message of autism spectrum disorder. I just didn't feel like it had a lot to say to people today. And this movie has something to say to everyone, not just kids, but anyone that's going to go on the internet or make a big change in their life, every parent, every teacher, every mentor, they're going to find some relevance and some anxiety and what it's like to send people off into the wonderland of the internet. I think this movie has some colorful characters. I think that it really made me care for Ralph and Vanellope as best friends in a way I didn't last time. And I think the message of Separation anxiety is more relevant than ever in a day and age where people don't always move out of the house or sometimes move back. This is an important message to say. It is okay sometimes to cut off communication. It is okay sometimes to take a step away from the social connectedness that we all feel on a day-to-day basis. I don't think everything here is great. It certainly doesn't achieve the finesse of the best Pixar films. I think they take that fix-it hammer sometimes and just holes in the script. They just go, boop, and like, all right, we're just solving it. And it's just (laughs) there. And I feel like there's probably tweaks they could have done. They're pretty minor in the end. When a movie makes you feel something, you can forgive a lot in the narrative plots, and that's what I would say. It's a solid recommend that you'll just skip right over the messiness of it and have a really meaningful,
3: emotional time with the film. For me, I felt I had a decent enough time watching this movie. The movie basically started off with what it was. I do think, as I've mentioned, it lacked urgency. It lacked something that made me get highly invested in this film, but I did like that it had a more mature story than I'm used to seeing out of things like The Secret Life of Pets and even the Lego Movie sequels to both of which I saw in the opening trailers. I think you'll have a fine time with this. When it comes down to how does it compare to the first one, to me, they're almost identical in terms of they do some things right, they do some things wrong. I think this one maybe over the other one by a hair, just because, again, it attempts something. It may not completely succeed, but at least it shows an ambition. Whereas the first one, I felt got too bogged down in Candy Crush Land. So, yeah, it is a recommend for Ralph Breaks the Internet, three for three. Right.
1: And we're going to see him again. I mean, you're right. It will take a while, maybe not six years, but this thing is a big hit. And I do think the story's not complete. I do predict the arcade will be closing and we'll see adult children, maybe Litwick will even have died, wondering what to do with the arcade and the games and that Ralph is somehow going to fall in love with a video game character. I can't imagine how that will be, but it will be
3: about that. Those are the two things I know. I... Just hope that if Litwick dies, it's not like the opening from Up, because I was Oh,
1: Yeah, I think it will be. I think, again, Pixar's always the reference. They're going to try for that here. (laughs) And you know what? This is a pretty good Toy Story movie. I hope Toy Story 4 is as good as Ralph 2.
0: Maybe they can have Wayne Knight's character from Toy Story come in and be uh, the collector of video (laughs) games and keep a couple of the cabinets together.
3: Well, this weekend, while I liked Wreck-It Ralph 2, as of this recording, I still haven't yet seen Creed 2, but I have higher hopes for Creed 2. I hope that Creed 2 is as good or better than this. I hope I walk away from this weekend going, Wreck-It Ralph was pretty good, but Creed 2 is where it's at, because I really enjoyed Creed 1, and I've been pretty excited for Creed 2, though it's come out really fast they only filmed this earlier this year we were discussing is it really coming out at this date and yeah they did
1: yeah i'm looking forward to hearing you jacob and brock get back in the ring get back to the rocky franchise i want to know if it's good or not it looks good and then all three of us will be back for one more video game movie review max Payne,
3: in two weeks because you can't have the holidays without a little pain and some turkey some (laughs) leftover turkey (laughs) Don't spoil it. And ubiquitous snowfall. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for listening to the show. If you'd enjoyed it, please head to iTunes, leave us a five-star review and leave us a couple words, or you can leave it on Podbean or wherever you listen to our show.
1: And consider donating. We got an incredible stretch of shows, many of which are out right now. But if you go gold this Friday, we're going to get to signs. Still the good years
3: for M. Night Shyamalan. And... If you are a patron, we did release Apocalypse Now this month. And next month, for the holidays, we're going to be doing A Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, it is kind of a Christmas movie. Although I always think of it more around Halloween. We have that debate. Mm. Is it a Halloween movie? Is it a Christmas movie? It's going to be our December patron bonus either way. And until next time... One second, I'm having the time of my life. And the next thing I know, my game is just done.
0: Bad. And that's good.
2: I will never be good. And if that's not bad, there's no one like
0: Okay, gang, see you next week.
2: Thank you for joining us for this installment of Now Playing's Wreck It Ralph Retrospective. That is what the
0: internet was made for!
2: Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. We haven't been this popular in years. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can listen to the other installments at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Where are we going to find that? The internet! You can also listen to hundreds of other movie reviews, including podcasts dedicated to every movie ever based on a video game, like Final Fantasy, Resident Evil, and Super Mario Brothers. When these video games become so violent, scary! You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage.
3: You are trending, and these are for you. Heart,
2: heart, 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 Border alert, border alert. You can find details on how to support our show and receive exclusive bonus podcasts at nowplayingpatron.com.
0: We ask them to help us out on the bonus levels.
2: Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Attention to detail is pretty impressive. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Arnie.
3: Why do I fix everything I touch?
2: Now Playing Credits, read by Brock. I'm pretty sure he's
1: just trying to guess what you're gonna say.
2: Yes, I'm sorry,
1: but my auto feel is a touch aggressive today.
2: The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated.
1: You're not wrong.
2: Now playing podcast is a production of venganza media incorporated copyright 2018 all rights reserved venganza media is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared approved or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein
3: are you guys okay should i call the police
2: all movie clips and music used in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended.
3: The rules are there for a reason, Vanellope, to protect us.
2: Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and no part of the show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed, and the Now Playing trademark may not be used without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Whew, what a day. So, you want to head to tappers, Ken? If you're buying, buddy.
3: This is one of those hobby businesses that retirees have, you know, (laughs) like my dad in his last years of medical practice. Because you always want a doctor who's a hobbyist.
1: Yeah, your dad treating his <laughs> practice like a hobby. Yeesh! <laughs> Those malpractices sure are fun. They're like bonus points. The bonus round going to court.
2: <laughs> it's
1: Alan Tudyk's Tudyk. Two dick, yeah, two dick. Not two dicks. That's a little too <laughs> dark net. Um, you would not want a 25-year-old still playing with his Woody doll. There has to be a time to move on, and they do that. You hear that,
3: Justin? He doesn't like adults with action figures.
1: <laughs> I realized as I was saying it, I was walking into a trap. I'm like, stay above it. Don't fall in the pit. Oh,
3: I
0: guess I didn't clear. I thought I jumped that like pitfall. <laughs> I'm just glad he threw the wood. You put doll at the end of it. it was right for a second, I thought you were saying, grow a man playing with his woody. <laughs> yeah,
1: I tried. Like, Yeah, you don't play with them, though, Arnie. You don't play with them, I don't think. I hope you don't. Please say you don't. <laughs>
3: I, when I say I'm playing with my toys, it usually means I'm moving boxes or taking photos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Buying them on eBay. Yes.
0: <laughs> Haven't made laser sounds with my mouth for at least a few months.
3: It's, it's not like Spaceballs. No, sir, I didn't see you playing with your Spaceballs toys again.
2: <laughs>
3: In a day and age where people don't always move out of the house or sometimes move
1: back like I do. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm living with my mother right now. <laughs>
2: but it's happening.
1: <laughs>